Hey, welcome back or welcome to the Believe Studios as well as Daniel's Adventure. We are in person together. I think we've done this once before, and it was in the lobby of the hotel right <laughs> totally. next door to here. But this is phenomenal. It's great. Look, Believe's been great to partner with, and this is new for them. It's new for us. It's terrific. Yeah. Eighth of a mile from my house. Hell of a lot better than my kitchen table I usually do this on, that's for sure. <laughs> so an eighth of a mile from your house. Taxi Mike, that's what, 35 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> and 35 seconds. We love Mike. Yeah. Oh, we love Mike. Well, Ted, I'm glad we got in person because we weren't in person this weekend for the first time in a while. But you were in Notre Dame. Yeah. Your wife, Letterman's jacket, had to go down. And very, stuff very cool. That, yeah, very, very quickly. It was even better than I imagined it would be because there were about 160 women that were honored by Notre Dame. They all played club sports before Notre Dame had varsity sport. Um, there were not enough women at Notre Dame in those years to field teams. They had to go to the sister school, St. Mary's, to recruit women to help fill out teams to see what it meant for them and understand the generation we're talking about here. The oldest recipients were in their early 70s. The young Nobody was younger than 60 because of the time frame involved. So to see what it meant to them was pretty cool. And the other great part was they took uh, Marcus Freeman, the coach, agreed. All 160 women went down to the field for the pregame on the sideline, and they were allowed to stay all the way through the anthem. Marcus Freeman allowed that, which doesn't normally happen. And my wife had never been on the field at Notre Dame Stadium. So, I mean, to see their reactions to that for the first time, things I take for granted, it was great. So, anyway, it was the right thing to do. It was done in a really high-class way. And uh, and the football game, you guys, I, I reinforced my soapbox. It's, it's hard to watch. Long a lot of reviews, torture. <laughs> TV breaks that pays Molinari's salary, long. Uh, and USC, to spin this to the Pac-12, Notre Dame's not the team they've been the last few years. Yeah. They look like a 7-5 and five kind of level team to me, which is good. It's just not what they've been. So given the fact that USC has a game with them to come up on Thanksgiving weekend, it'd be, uh, you know, USC can't sleep on it. It's a rivalry game, but that that should be a USC should be a strong favorite. Yeah. I hope Notre Dame's focused on their task at hand this weekend as they head to the dome to face Cuse. <laughs> well, all I know. Oh, come on, Cuse. The refs finally let us down. By the way, they lost losing at Clemson this week. So I, I I would tell this. I told Molinari this the other day. I said I want the over for this game. I watched Notre Dame play, and I saw I know how Syracuse plays. I want the over. <laughs> For real. Well, you know what? I, it's hard to believe because here we are, only five games left, but basketball is also almost back. And Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team, matchup info, player news, game trends at Bet Online. It's your continued source for all sports wagering information. It features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Fastest, easiest way, favorite sports, events. NFL, college, NBA, you name it, they have it. So go to betonline.ag, join, receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. Receive your awards, BetOnline, where the game starts. So let's start where the game ended for us this weekend. Ted, you weren't there. We had JB. We had an homage to you. It was super fun. What was it like for you in, in the season to... Not have Ted in a game. <laughs> Look at him smiling. What do you mean? Was like, what a loaded question that is. You had the great J.B. Long with you. J.B. Long, and I think I used the phrase, and I think J.B. would be okay with this phrase. We sort of had a Ted clone with us in a way. And I mean that in the 
in the nicest way possible. The styles are very similar. I think when JB's one moment, the whole game where he got a little off kilter was talking about you and Mary when we put that photo up. He, I can mm, tell yeah. he's like, I've known these people since I can remember knowing anybody. And mm -hmm. it was really... It was really nice what he said, and he did a great job with it. But you could, you and I could tell. Uh oh, make it JB, make yeah, it yeah. this. It was a little, I was a little bit nervous, but he did a great job, and it was, it really, was seamless. And uh, again, I think because JB's kind of modeled the way he does television after Ted, so we were in a great position. Well, how about this? Stanford has won two games in a row by scoring one touchdown. Okay. <laughs> So My brother. <laughs> the other thing, review. We we like to get on review a little bit. I finally turn towards the camera. I tell him that's so good. To the good. camera, I'm getting that. <laughs> so we finally have a review. It decides the game. It corrected a call that decided the game. Yeah. Elijah Badger's toe was on the line, and as the replay sequence is going, I know. Okay, I want to show how we got there, and then I see the next one. I see in our high end zone, the one from the back that you can see he's out of bounds. So I hit Yogi, he's out. And then we show it, and the toes on the Good. line. And they got it right. And that's the way, what review should be. Well, that's exactly. Deciding a game. And Yogi, I'm sure you flashed back, because we had one years ago, Oregon at Utah was the same with Darren Carrington, right? Same exact thing. Yeah, 100%. And Ryan McGrady, who had been at Stanford for the last couple of seasons, yeah. he's moving on to 24-7. He hit me after the game. He goes, I just watched the ending. It totally reminded me of the end of the game, Utah-Oregon from back in the day and the Carrington play. Uh, but it, it was fun to go on the farm. But let, let's start with the obvious. Did you get a chance to, to check out the UCLA-Oregon matchup? Yes. wonder what you think. Because I think, like, it's clear to me, I think Oregon is – is the top team in this league, how they're playing. Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, and you know how I've been pounding the drum that quarterback play has been so much better in the conference this year. And it just, I think everybody's uplifted because of it. The league is better. We're regarded better nationally because of it. I watched the first half of the Oregon UCLA game. Bo Nix is the answer to my question. Who's the best quarter? Who's QB one in this conference right now? Bo Nix. Mm. I mean, just, he is, uh, he's way better than I ever thought he would be. Certainly better than he ever played at Auburn. Um, and as good as, as Michael Penix has been and DTR and Caleb Williams, right now, to me, Bo Nix is the best quarterback in this conference. And he showed it in the first half Saturday. Yeah, I'd agree. I think yeah, I think it's happened to DTR heading into the week. Everybody just kind of put a blanket statement on him based on earlier in his career. And I think over the last couple of weeks heading into the game, it was like, okay, he's a different guy. Yeah. I think the same thing for Bo. I think this game did that for him. I yeah. think he's a like he's not seen as the guy that turned the ball over at Auburn all the time, or that you know couldn't get the team in air quotes yeah. like over the hump. Like his team is playing well. Now we're going to get into it here in a minute on the tiebreaker scenario. So everybody's very clear on that. But they've got I think the most challenging road to Vegas in terms of opponents, but they get majority of them at home. Yeah. And before, I don't want the Utah fans to get upset. I left Rising out. Yeah, yeah. I've got to get Cam Rising in there, too. And, and D, so DTR had his great game uh, three weeks ago. Rising had his two weeks ago. This week, it was, it was Bo Nix with that game. So um, uh, what, what the, the first half, Bo Nix threw a touchdown pass to Troy Franklin. And I, I was really happy because uh, Brock Heward went nuts on it, too. I mean, that was as big time a throw as you could ask a college quarterback to make where, you know, you as a receiver, you would have loved that because – just put your hands out. The ball drops, literally drops into your hands in the end zone. That was just gorgeous, pristine throw. I'm going to disagree. 
Caleb Williams to me mm-hmm. at his best. Mm-hmm. Caleb Williams, his consistency is his problem, perhaps, but at his best, I think Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in this league because of his elusiveness and his ability to throw while he's on the move. But O line number one, that's Oregon. Yeah. O line yep. one, that's Absolutely. Hands down Oregon. Yeah. And I think that's the strength. That's the strength of their team right now. The coolest part of that whole game to me was when you saw Oregon inside the five yard line. They did what Chip used to do inside the five yard line. They go under formation and like yeah. tackle tight ends, receivers all so, out, right. center, guard, quarterback, uh, running back. You know, at the where the where the ball is. And I just kind of laughed watching it back. Like, yeah, oh my god. But two two things, right? Exactly. Chip's teams, his Oregon teams, and now his UCLA teams doing the same thing. Two things they did in the red zone. One is they scored yeah. touchdowns. And second, they ran the ball. That's the That continues to me to be the misnomer of Chip. What did Chip do Saturday? Charbonnet in the first half. Charbonnet, Charbonnet, Charbonnet. Yeah, 150 and, plus. And, and, and Oregon, which is what I thought when we talked last week, I thought they were going to try to do. And they did it. And the UCLA's defensive front could not hold up. Uh, they got manhandled by Oregon's O-line. And as as much as I credit the ingenuity of Oregon on the onside kick, its impact on the game to me is a little overrated only because UCLA couldn't stop Oregon anyway. So <laughs> without the onside kick, which allowed Oregon to steal a possession, no doubt, but their, their offense the first half, they didn't get stopped. They yeah. went. They, they did what they wanted when they wanted yeah, Kenny Dillingham getting a lot of play for the ASU job. Mm-hmm. We saw ASU, of course, over the weekend. I think it's rightfully so. Like, that offense is awesome, yeah, what you're is. watching. I mean, yeah. Kenny Dillingham was a high school player in Scottsdale and couldn't play to an injury and became, like, a coach back in high school. He's just been on it and been tracking him and sitting in all these rooms. Like, great story from landing after the game of uh, Kenny Dillingham at ASU, and he would just, like, sit in the back of the room. And that was when Mike Norvell was the OC, when Todd Graham was there. He was just sitting back there just paying attention when he was, like, in high school and college and beyond. And, and here we go. So uh, I'm with you. That offense is that offense is rolling right now. My, my only note about Kenny in meeting with him twice, his energy is infectious. Dude, yes. I mean. And that's what you hope. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll throw this out as the cautionary tale, having seen it both on Saturdays and Sundays, is – a, coordin- a, a terrific coordinator does not automatically make a terrific head coach. They are, and you played Yogi. They're, those are different jobs oh, yeah. with different demands. And all you need look is Brent Venables right now. Okay? Brent Venables. Look at that. It's awful what they're going through. And in the NFL, I saw it with uh, Shanahan in San Francisco and McVay with the Rams, guys that were terrific play callers, great schemers, have they been able to translate to leadership? And they've both been able to do that well. Yeah. But that's a question that when you've never been a head coach. Yeah. Well, I think it's so hard. I remember when Lane and Sark both left SC as right. play callers. Exactly. They've never, you know, up until I think this year, I think Lane isn't doing the play calling, but Sark's still doing all the play calling. Like, it, it's a hard turn. And talking to a lot of coaches of the last couple of weeks that are having success or not having success, and you're, and you're hearing some of the issues. Because I, I do think even to the coordinator piece, now more than ever, you've got to be able to command a side of the ball. And that's where I think, like, I'd be curious to see what Kenny would do if he got to command a room. Because I go on the flip side, I think of Brent Brennan. He never called a play. And, but he's a hell of a head coach. Motivation, movement, he's the point guard in the facility. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see what Arizona State does interview process-wise. 
you know, you read all the things and every name is the same, but head coaching experience, guys, no head coaching experience, guys who understand the portal NIL, like that'll all, that'll all come to the surface. And I wonder what's valued more at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you since, since I've, I told you guys this off the air and I haven't said it on our pod yet, but I'm going to say it now is that if I'm looking out here, I mean, and, and again, every, everybody has their list of 50 people and it's just, I, you have to understand because I've been on this side too. A lot of a lot of the media types that write about these lists are t- doing favors for agents. And I've been there. I understand the game. I once played the game. So you're doing favors for agents. Put my guy in. Put this guy in. Put this guy in. Turn him into a candidate, and then I'll feed you some other information. That's just that's the ugly truth of what you see. A lot of these lists are. But one thing, and especially the Colorado situation, which we understand. In Colorado, you have to try to do more with a little bit less. Yeah. It's just that's just reality in this conference. Brent Brennan is a guy at San Jose State who has proven as a head coach that he can do more with less, much less, <laughs> in terms of material facilities, etc. At San Jose State, that's a guy with Pac-12 roots to me that should be on the radar. Not ever telling somebody they have to hire someone, but Brent Brennan has to be given a chance to get in the room. Has to. Confirm. Totally agree. I I hope, and I'm sure he will. He's been interviewed for many head jobs outside of the one he currently resides in, but I hope he gets to your point in that room. He's he's seen it all now. Uh, on on a on a really sad note, right? They just lost a player last yeah. week. Yeah. Like he's in terms of, I, I talked to him the morning on Saturday before our game, and uh, Sean Aguano, David Shaw, so many others reached out to him after the loss of their player, and we send, of course our love to that program and his family. But I, I just think that there's something to that experience of a head job. You know, I, I used to always say this about Landon Sark. If, I, of course, you know why they took UW or the Raiders job. But if it was Akron or Miami of Ohio or something like that, I think you learn stuff not in the spotlight that can help you as a head coach as you're growing in that profession. And we'll see how it is now because now, like, hot names become hot names and you just skyrocket. Yeah. And you're not necessarily ready. Who can be ready for that job? Well, that's where I was to circle back to where we started here. Yeah. That was to my, my point when you triggered about uh, Kenny Dillingham, who's clearly earned the right. I mean, I'm not, believe me, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that a coordinator can't make a good head coach. I'm, I'm just saying it's not automatic. Yeah. And that's, you have to find coaches somewhere. So, yeah, coordinator at least has had responsibilities and big things as opposed to a position coach. And that's a, definitely a difference there. Um, but it's, it, the, the candidate list, and especially offensive play callers, because we are filled with people, not me, but younger than me, that have all grown up on Madden. So they think if you're a play caller and you can run joystick, man, you are the man. And I get that. So the offensive coordinators are much sexier than defensive coordinators. That's why Venables getting hired was fascinating to me, because Oklahoma was had become this offensive power under Stoops and then Riley, and they went and hired a defensive guy. And their defense is a sieve right now. I don't watch it carefully, but you look at the scores, you see what they are. Um, the defensive coordinators don't get quite the play. So I just, back to where we started again, that's all. I know when schools are looking, to me, it's it's a lot about what Michael, what you just said, because we're seeing it, we're going to see it again Saturday. To me, Jed Fish is a template. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not making him Lombardi. That's not my point here. But energy enthusiasm in a lot of the Pac-12 markets is vital when we have empty seats. It's vital, and Jed Fish is the template for that. Then hopefully you find someone that I saw 
the greatest example I saw firsthand was Jim Harbaugh, both at Stanford and San Francisco 49ers, hired a good staff. Wasn't afraid to hire a good staff. Didn't feel threatened by hiring good staff. Let them, gave them uh, uh, autonomy and challenge me and call things and do things. That's another vital part of being a leader that just being a play caller, you don't have to deal with. Yeah. And I think you missed, uh, you guys might have missed the most important thing. Can you fire up the fan base on at the Thursday luncheon? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but every yeah. head coach I've had the chance to talk to in a casual setting, be it uh, a dinner before media day, I was like, oh, what, what's one of the, you know, recruiting, retaining players? What's the hardest part of your job? Talking to the alumni. That oh. I, almost every one of them says that at some point. So I, I find that interesting. And that's something a coordinator would have no idea about. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know until they get up there. Um, and I, I, the other thing I want to miss, Sean Aguano, um, I thought we had one of our better uh, coaches' mics of the year. And we had actually were allowed to do a little bit of strategy how they ran the two-minute offense at the end of the first half. Got a little insight in it. I thought that was really cool television. So thank nice. you, Sean and uh, ASU, for letting us do that. Yeah, he, he couldn't have been better. He was, in, he was incredible. And to me, what's going to be amazing to watch for them moving forward, they have Colorado this weekend. Uh, sounds like the quarterback competition is open at ASU. Emory Jones, Trenton Bourget. Wow. Going to find out who the better okay. player is. So we'll be tracking that. Um, you referenced alumni. Got like one of the best of all time at our game. Gronk will be there. It's homecoming in Arizona. We got the Trojans there. Uh, we'll have some sort of sound from Gronk in yeah. the game on Saturday, I'd imagine. He may join us in the booth if there's enough room for Sam, Ted, Gronk, and you. I don't know. It's a the two tight ends. Game. We'll just bail. <laughs> yes, yes. Just let Sam do it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think there's a lot of excitement around this game for a bunch of reasons. One, Jed, to your point, has been able to create hope every week he's been there. Yeah. Like he, re- it's been amazing to watch them. Both teams coming off a bye. Nice job, Pac-12, scheduling. Like Pretty much every team other than one plays their opponent when both are coming yes, off a bye, which is right. great this year. And here comes SC off of heartbreak. Heartbreak loss. Like, what do, what do you look forward to in this game, Ted, with these two teams on Saturday? Well, I mean, look, USC, I mean, Oregon's offense has been fabulous. There's no question. Like I said, I still think USC is the best chance – right now to be a CFP team out of this conference because the blunt truth is they don't have a 49 to three on their resume. And that's just, just reality. Um, and I, I hope that if Oregon runs the table, which they sure can do, I hope that the committee is big enough. It's my basketball mantra now that I'm switching to football and that I think basketball, I thought this year they did a much better job of not letting November and early December define your season that there should be credit given because the part of teaching is to improve people, right? A team should be able to improve over the course of a year and be credited for that, particularly in this era now where there's so much turnover every year. So I same in football. 49 to 3 in week 12 would be a problem. Yeah. 49 to 3 in week 1 to me should not be a disqualifier. Tiebreaker? Yeah. If Oregon and Georgia are in the battle for the final spot, absolutely. That's a tiebreaker, no question. But a it shouldn't be a disqualifier. Yeah. Would you be okay abolishing your cherished preseason poll, Ted? Would that be okay? <laughs> <laughs> my cherished preseason poll. We know how much you I love kept, preseason kept my poll. Stre- I kept my streak alive, did not participate in the uh, Pac-12 basketball I think, poll. Oh, I have no man. idea. No <laughs> idea. Preseason polls, especially in football, are just they're just so unfair. Let them play a week and then poll the audience. Yeah. Like, don't set the bias up because – 
some teams it's just impossible for them to overcome it. Well, and, and this will we'll, we'll get into this because I'll, I'll break my uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll relax my rule here next week. Um, what's crept into it, it's our society now, and I know we're, I'm fighting a losing battle in this one. I totally get it. But now that we have preseason Heisman polls, what a joke! Yeah. What a joke! Let them play some games. Let the play decide. Determine who are the legitimate Heisman candidates. And so, uh, like I said, I'm not going to say any more until next week, as I said, I vowed I wouldn't do this until November. November, we can start talking to me about who the f- legit field is. But oh. I can't stand the preseason thing about that. It's brutal. There's been one preseason Heisman Trophy winner to ever win it. Huh. And it was the best friend of the guy who started to believe, Matt Leiner. Oh, okay. He's the only guy yeah. who probably lives a block But who here. decided he was the preseason? That's what I don't understand. Who decided that? Good question. Yeah. All right, so let's okay. let's be clear on the tiebreaker because we got Thursday night football this week, Utah, Washington State. This is how I've come to understand the tiebreaker, just to kind of be very clean about it. Tiebreaker is if three teams, if three are tied. teams are tied at the okay. top. So we're talking about three teams at eight and one. Let's call it for argument's sake, Utah, Oregon, USC. The first thing you do is you go to have they played each other. They have not all played each other. So it doesn't matter, I'm sorry, Utah fans, that you beat both those teams. But that category, which is number one on the list, you can look at a pack. Because Oregon and USC don't play. Because Oregon and USC don't play, you immediately go to number two in the categories. Number two is record against common opponents. So for argument's sake today, the final week of October, let's just say Oregon's 2-0, USC and Utah are both 1-1 against common opponents. Oregon, find you in Vegas. USC and Utah, you go back to the top of to that list, to to, which is the, when two teams are tied at the top. Head-to-head. And you go to head-to-head. Utah. So Utah goes in. So if we go UCLA, if they beat USC in the Crosstown rivalry, and it's UCLA, Utah, Oregon in the same situation, we go and we skip the first one because they all beat each other. We go to the second one. Let's just say it's the same scenario. Oregon automatically goes. And then we go to the... Utah-UCLA matchup. Now UCLA finds themselves in the title game. So that's the cleanest way to explain it today with where we sit, knowing Thursday night is a challenging game for Utah in Pullman. Yeah, absolutely. And you know we're still in October, but heading into November, you know that nothing will stay. No. That nothing will stay on form. We're going to have craziness. There'll be at least one, if not more than one. Somebody's going to be a spoiler. Yeah. Somebody's going to jump up and win a game. And it could well be the Cougs this week. Obviously, we know how hard, how I was assuming how jazzed up their crowd will be on a Thursday night game in Pullman with national audience watching. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Pretty jazzed. Yeah, so let's talk Oregon-Cal, because Justin Wilcox has been able to beat his alma mater before, right? Chance to go there to be the head coach. And his Cal team has underperformed dramatically, I think, this season. And they get Oregon after a huge win. Coming into Berkeley, I don't think Marshawn will be there. I don't know if you saw the Marshawn Lynch interview. Oh, I've seen, I've seen <laughs> many it. Yes, times. I've many seen times. it. Yes, um, it's a twelve thirty game, right? So it's not a night Hopefully game. That won't be the Gronk interview type. Thing, yeah, I'm hoping. What, what, what do you think? Like, Cal's going to get somebody, I think, this year. Yeah, I mean, I, the, my first thing is again, I'm going to go back to uh, the same story. I mean, you have the best offensive line in the conference in Oregon, and maybe the offensive line that's struggled the most. In Cal, it just has, and so it, pretty hard. I mean, you know, to to think this is the week that Cal's going to get somebody, I have a hard time not yeah. not watch. I mean, Oregon scored forty plus every week since 
week one. Week one. They've scored 40-plus. Why would I think this week would be any different? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Cal, the good thing after talking to their staff, like they're not going to lay down. Like I don't think we're going to start seeing a team that doesn't give any effort. Um, I think it'll be a more competitive game than maybe numbers would suggest. But I'm with you. I think this is a game where we look at Oregon, and I say that because this is the week. We're recording Tuesday. On Thursday, uh, I get the honor to be on the call with the CFP committee. So you start to present the case. Ah. And here comes Oregon's schedule as you look at it. And I think they're going to face a team in Cal that is going to give them every single thing they could handle. Mm -hmm. And I think they'll win in workmanlike fashion. And I think uh, I say that because that needs to be – I think that's noteworthy. Of like They're not just playing a team that I think will just lay down. Like This is not who Justin Wilcox and Cal is. And even after talking to their staff earlier today, like they don't feel that even in the practice field. They're like, our guys are coming to work every day. We haven't lost hope, to use your word. So I think we'll get a competitive game, and then eventually Oregon will just do what they do to everybody, which is lean on you and lean on you and then pull away late. Yeah. Here's, here's the number for Cal that just keeps growing. One in eight in games decided by seven points or less. Last two years. Yeah. yeah. Last nine games, wow. seven or less, they got one win. That's a tough – that's tough for the fan base. That's tough for the players. That's tough for the coaches. So. Yeah, and they got to score. You know, the interesting thing came out of Stanford, Ted – um, Ashley Adamson asked a great question in our production meeting to Coach Shaw, like, hey, where are you guys at with the portal in NIL? And so, you know, we're working on it. Like, we're working on, like, setting standards for maybe freshmen and sophomores to be able to transfer in if your academic GPA, your academic standing meets this requirement, mm -hmm. juniors and seniors to meet this requirement. So I think, like, going into that week, it was like, man, like, how's Stanford going to compete in this yeah. new world that we're in? As they play UCLA, who's done really well in the graduate school side of things. Yeah, but and and when you say the we though, the we is not Stanford football. The we has to be Stanford University. Yep. <laughs> it's not the football program's decision, and that's hundred percent. Provost, I think the word provost. Provost. Was well, the provost is yeah. the number two yes. person yeah. on the campus. Um, you know, as Condi Rice was the provost when I was there way back when as a announcer rep. Um, anyway, point being that. That absolutely has to happen yeah. in this era, and David knows that. And David Shaw, what makes him one of the many things that makes him special is he's a Stanford guy through and through. He understands the university, and he's not going to fight things, especially in public, that you can't win. It's what makes the university special. And I'll go back to what I've said before. Stanford will, as a university, is going to have to make this decision going forward because the, these this college football world hopefully we'll get regulated a little bit, but it basically isn't going to change, right? Yeah. So do we want to compete as we have for the last decade? Unprecedented competition. Or do we want to be Vanderbilt and go 2-9, and 2-10 and ten every year? We'll get a heck of a check, yeah. but that's what we'll be. We'll be 2-10 and ten every year. Yeah. What did you feel coming out of that production meeting? Well, I felt, I felt like David Shaw has found a way to keep his players engaged in a tough year and maybe a couple a tough couple of years yeah. and you just feel like this is like if I was playing this is a guy I'd like to play for because yeah. he cares about more he cares about winning and he made that clear winning is the bar that really matters but there are other bars to measure success too yeah. and that's what we're focusing on and it was it's just an intelligent he's surrounded all his players are extremely intelligent and he's the perfect leader for a group of very intelligent players that's what I felt coming out of the meeting the best part, I thought, of the weekend, and I think UCLA-Stanford's like a sneaky, really good game uh, to, to finish up Saturday. 
David Shaw talked about how his players came to him after the Oregon game and said, look, we need to talk about style of play that we that we're putting on the field right now and he said sure let's talk about it so they met in a room you know 18 guys offense defense all the leaders the leadership council and they said we want to be more aggressive i think the the quote was attributed to jonathan mcgill i don't play defense to sit back and be passive i play defense to mess with other people and you've seen them since that game blitz more play a ton of man coverage take shots we saw a four uh, a third down in the game tanner mckee gets sacked and you're thinking 100 david Shaw's gonna run the ball here this is what he's done for a long time they drop back to throw it they get sacked, clock continues to go within, what, less than three minutes left in the ballgame. And I just, I say that because I thought that was pretty, pretty powerful yeah, for him to cool. open up that door to the players. And then what he said, and I want to hit you on, he said when Andrew Luck was there, he went up to Andrew and he said, what do you like on this call sheet? And he goes, call anything, coach. He goes, Andrew, I want you to be, not be as nice as you are and as polite as you are. I want you to say no. I want you to tell me what you love, what you hate. And he said sometimes at Stanford, the guys are so good that they're like, we'll just run whatever you want. We'll do whatever you want, coach. Yeah. And that's why I think this moment for them as a program was a pretty catalytic one. I think he said you're more invested when you make a decision. Absolutely and, right. And that, yes. As soon as you tell me that story, I'm thinking back conversation that, that I was involved with with David Shaw and Robert Griffin at the media day this year. And we were talking about the Andrew Luck situation. Anyway, he was saying – when Andrew called him one year from Indianapolis, he was getting Andrew was getting beat up. The beginning of the system of, of physical beating that led Andrew to finally retire. Anyway, David said, "Go to the owner and tell him what you need." And Andrew was exactly what you talked about. He's a respectful, polite guy. He was going to go through the you know I'll talk to the co no no. David said, "Go to the owner." He said, "In the NFL, the the hierarchy is owner one, franchise quarterback two." head coach three, general manager four. That's your hierarchy because the franchise quarterback is so rare. And Andrew Luck was one. So I thought that was that was the kind of leadership. So when you just said that story from last week, that's what I thought of. That yeah. triggered the story he told me that he went, mentioned Andrew. But I'll say this, and I, obviously I wasn't there with you Friday, but that's what I respect about David. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful I hear more of that because it triggers somebody very influential in football, very smart, told me this story last fall about Brian Kelly, now at LSU. But he said, Brian Kelly, all his years at Notre Dame, really had one NFL quarterback, Deshaun Kaiser, for one year. He went four and eight. Wow. What did Brian Kelly do after that year? Brian Kelly, Kaiser left, went to pros. Kelly changed coordinators, changed his philosophy, allowed more autonomy, did a different, just took different approaches won 10 games five years in a row before leaving this year to go to LSU. And that really triggered something. And it was someone who had looked at this and studied it and thought about it and said, you know, it gets back to the Einstein thing of, you know, why do I keep expecting a different result? So to hear that from David in that meeting, to me, is that's a hopeful sign for Stanford football. If that's the beginning of thinking, okay, we're going to have to readjust, adjust, rather, things we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch them. And – just from a player standpoint, I was like, wow, they've got freshman D linemen. They ran a – I mean, David Bailey didn't play, but they had two other guys, freshmen, that were impactful throughout the the, yeah. the entirety yeah, the of the game. The of the game. Yeah, on the field at the end of the game. Like, that that to me was was a big thing. And I think for UCLA this week, Dorian's going to see a ton of man coverage. I don't know if Ethan Bonner's going to go or not. Um, 
I'm excited to watch him because he's going to have to hit spots. It'll be a great bounce back opportunity. Stanford's going to play man against UCLA? They're they play, play man, man against, against everybody. Wow, I was going to say, because I know that after USC, that was... Yeah. So Bobo, man coverage? Caillou Blue Kelly, Jake Bobo. And, wow. And Blue okay. Kelly did not follow uh, Elijah Badger. Yeah. You know, so... No one followed him the last play. Yeah, yeah. that is very true. <laughs> that is, That could have been crazy Sorry. town. It would have been a totally different show today. Um, all right, with that said, Michael... This is your first humanity moment of the week in this setting with us, like physically office. next to you. Yeah, yeah, this is a new challenge for me, uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, I'll go back to the David Shaw, our trip to the office on Friday, and uh, it's, it's been a rough year. It's actually been a rough couple of years, and as I've said it before, it's easy to be a good leader when things are going well, but the true test is when you're facing adversity, and uh, and he definitely has been, and Going into his office, one of the things we asked him, or he brought up, was the challenges now aren't just recruitment. It's recruitment and retainment, which is a new twist for the college coach. It used to, used to be like a pro guy, do the game, but then I have to recruit. Now they got to do the game, they got to recruit, but they got to retain. So I, like in my journalistic coach, what takes more of your time, recruitment or retainment? Looks at me, both. So that's what I was a pretty good answer. So anyway, they're both pretty tough. Um, so anyway, as I said, it was, we just talked about his leadership and the leadership council. And I think what I respect about David Shaw, which is many things, but the way he leads and uh, contrary to what many in politics and business bureaucrats think, leadership really has nothing to do with maintaining power. That should be the result rather than the focus of good leadership. Uh, Often the toughest decisions bring you to your, uh, bring you to risk your place in power. And David Shaw did a little bit by bringing in, who did he go to? His subordinates, brought them in. Didn't want to know just what don't we do well, but what do we do well? But also when, what don't we do well? And he took those ideas and he listened and he said, all right, I can't change that. There's reasons, but I'm listening to this and we may change that and we're definitely going to use that. And what I respect about him it's kind of like ties into television. What we say to people is produce from your position. So it's not just the guy at the top who's making the decisions, but if the guy at the top has the confidence and the security in himself to realize that good ideas can come from anywhere, I think that's what makes a great leader. And I think that's why David Shaw and Stanford is gonna come back and be the David Shaw and Stanford that we remember from five or six years ago. But as we go to the end of that game, if Elijah Badger's play, if if his toe had been in bounds and Stanford had had two improbable losses in the last three weeks, I'm sure David Shaw, the great leader that he is, would have had a plan to navigate the situation. But I'm sure after further review, he was happy he didn't have to. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, that was uh, – I like that, produced from your position. I think that speaks to our crew too. You feel like everybody's got ownership in that regard. If I didn't take the ideas of others, I would be a, I would be an idiot. I mean, we're surrounded when you're surrounded by greatness and surrounded by really intelligent people. The best thing a leader can do is listen to them and let them know you're listening to them. Yeah, amen to that. All right, leadership will be on display. Go ahead. So, so quick shout out Oregon State. Yeah. Talk about turning the corner. What they do this past week? Bowl eligibility. Right, but how'd they do it? They won a game they should win. And they won it decisively. Yeah. That's, to me, that's when your programs turn the corner. They didn't let a team that's down mess with them 
you know, your home field, freshman running back, Martinez is a great game, 42-9. Second point, week one we had Rice, Mike Bloomgren. Did you see what they did last week? They beat La Tech. Mike Bloomgren and Rice, speaking about these schools that have difficulties, you know, the recruiting pool from which they come or from which they can choose is smaller. Make it to a bowl game this year. How about that? How about that turnaround too? Yeah. Like he was one of those hot seat list guys. I'm saying exactly. Yeah. And and longtime Stanford assistant, which is why I bring him up here. So there was a Pac-12 connection. But uh, but I you know those are that's a that's a mini humanity story because it's nice for a guy that's been there five years. As you said, they were starting to get a little squeeze. Tough job going up in conference next year, stepping up into a bigger league where they're going to get a lot more money to work with with their program. This is a nice way to go. Two last things. I have, can't believe I've gone this entire pod without saying it. Fubo TV, still the seven-day <laughs> free trial. Wow. If you don't have Pac-12 and you want to see USC at Arizona, yeah, go out and get it. Just It's as simple as typing Fubo TV. And number two, if the Qs win, Ted wears orange next week. If the Domers win, I'll wear green. Sound like the deal? There you go. Okay. I like that. I That's like in. That. All right, so we'll I'll see. I'll paint my face orange. How's that? <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Go. Monday night. Definitely won't do this show Monday night next week. No. We'll be on the streets causing havoc. <laughs> um, all right. As always, we are presented by Bet Online. We'll be at SC. We'll see if Jordan Addison and Eric Gentry make their way with SC to Tucson to play on homecoming. Close to a sellout already. Hopefully by game time it will be. Gronk will be there. We will be there. A lot of playmakers will be there as well, including Caleb Williams. So tune into that. We got you covered on the Pac-12 Networks. Until then. Ted, Michael, Yogi from the Believe Studios. Can you believe? Shag carpet, baby. Yeah, the shag <laughs> carpet. All right, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.